Hello, in our fourth podcast, The Present is Future, Annie, Weisong, Emmy, Amanda are going to talk about our personal experiences, current ideas and perspectives for future practices in education. And we hope that you're inspired by the readings we have done this semester. So I think the best way to describe the process I have been going through throughout the semester is what Gloria Anzaldúas describes in her book. So I'll quote her here. Um, the painful periods of confusion that I suffer from are symptomatic of a larger creative process, cultural shifts. The stress of being with cultural ambiguity both compels me to write and blocks me. End the quote. So beyond writing, I believe this could be expanded to any kind of creative process and to everything I've been theorizing and practicing as bell hooks helped me understand that these are not separated, but part of the same sort of healing process in a way that is connected to both personal and collective cultural shifts. So the ability to name or rename these ideas I had already been developing reminded me of how Hooks sees theorizing as important to for power, for individual and collective healing. So actually many of the readings I came across this semester helped me expand the ideas I had been developing in the past year. Um, essentially what I've been interested is and how non-Western communities, especially indigenous, black and mestizo communities have created strategies of resistance and survival that are connected to what I've come to understand as cosmology of webs. This is the idea and practices that come from indigenous worldviews um, inspired by crafting communities and the counter history of a type of lace I've studied called Nyanduchi which means spider web in Guarani language. So it's connected to this idea of a web um, and a broader sense. So it's like, it was a practice that emerged as resistance and healing from colonial domination and cultural assimilation efforts that happened in South America through the Jesuit missions. And I see this as an evidence of the creative power and healing ability of these communities that show how both the material and the visual culture are connected to symbolic and cosmological, epistemological meanings that work uh, in the world with poetic, politic, and pedagogical um, dimensions connected. So all these aspects are part of adapting to different contexts, even engaging with and transforming even the the institutions that were historically places of violence um, for these communities. And this happens through small internal and external acts of agency. It's a process of internal adaptation. So quoting Adrian Marie Brown from her book, Emergent Strategy, intentional adaptation is the heart of emergent strategy. How we live and grow and stay purposeful in the face of constant change actually does determine both the quality of our lives and the impact that we can have when we move into action together. So Adrian Marie Brown talks about emergence from multiple examples. For me, these examples of community efforts are proof of emergence among people. The process of emergence speaks both to my own experience of adaptation and cultural shifts moving to the United States and to my research, because it reminds me of what um, 
Angel Rama, which is a, an Uruguayan writer, describes as cultural plasticity. And this concept is basically the ability that any culture has to select elements of their own tradition and of external influences um, and search for resistant values that are important for their survival. So any culture or any group of beings is constantly exercising this creative process um, that could be emergence or biomimicry. So emergence can also be remembering, losing, selecting, rediscovering or incorporating things. And it is connected to a process of crisis. So it's searching for a balance of life and it is everywhere and we are small <laughs> and fractal. Um, so creating newness involves crisis and John Childs writes about that in Transcommunality inspired by ways of surviving practices by marginalized communities that connect with each other to, to achieve common objectives. So he mentions that one of the elements of this practice is constructive disputing, because when these different worlds or ways of being meet, um, this is constantly happening even, um, there will not be consensus. And this encounter is made by either shocks um, that are major collapses of worlds or slides, smoother transitions between worlds, um, which are part of the natural process of emergence. So I think for me, the area that needs to be investigated, paid attention to or remembered are the places where these encounters and transformations happen, where the communities that are epistemologically more connected to emergence tell us different stories, teach us ways of surviving, of intentional adaptation, really. And I've been especially thinking about how this has been happening in and around the institutions of arts, culture, and education, such as museums, um, curated or organized, or that communities, indigenous communities participate in. I love how you weaved all the readings, you know, to your purpose. I love all those connections. Let's see, you know, I am a painter and I am an art teacher. I'm currently teaching moms, um, but this semester really taught me uh, recognize myself as a to be a leader to grow my group into more bigger community more active communities um, so you know uh, after I read a lot of readings um, I just become more aware of resilience of Korean Americans especially Korean American moms they um, kind of reflects the same important values from decolonizing methodologies. Um, you know, living in U.S. is a work of navigating race and racism. Our daily experience involves stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination based on our race and immigrant background. So the, you know, the school and education does not teach Asian history and I feel like we need an outlet for Korean Americans to um, and I want to help them to lift up their voices and I want to liberate them from their racial reality so uh, I would like to continue teaching art and look forward to the ways uh, to make programs that are designed to bring artwork outside of the classroom uh, connect with new audience, reach out to um, 
community start a conversation and aim for better understanding of each other, um, making connections and being connected, building relationships with other people. Um, the Smith from the author, Smith Decolonizing Methodology, he mentioned to be connected is to be whole. So connection is related to community well-being. So I can imagine my group, my art group, cooperating with different communities through exhibitions, building relationships and affiliation. I believe this is work of transcommunality. So I get excited just thinking about it. I'm kind of looking forward to it. <laughs> I think Amanda is like kind of connected with personal experience and Anna is like trying to put your own culture and identity into the art education. So that's why for me, for my future research and study, I think for the art education or for the education overall, we kind of need to jump out to, 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 to real life and then back returning. So that's why in the rating of the decolonization is not a metaphor. The author, the Eve's talk, and Yang is give a series of clear observations about the use of the word decolonization. So they're actually trying to say that during the education, we we need we need trying to avoid the settlers' moves to innocence. They say that decolonization is just too easily incorporated into the language of the education and the social justice. It's just always easily lumped together with the social justice program. This is essentially a kind of lazy action in our education and because it involves much more than the education and the language, it can include things like self-identity, and the value recognition, and they also extended to the discussion of the external colonism, and they emphasized that in the post-colonial era, the supremacy of the white people or colony empires continue as they still occupy the resources of other countries and in many ways, and take away other countries' right of speech. So especially in the North America, in my own experience, both in Canada and the United States, in most settings, especially outside of the history classroom, university lectures, the discussion of the decolonization becomes a really simple, lighthearted act of reconciliation that completely ignores the deep conflicts. So it seems that the current life is very happy and stable. So it might be a little bit inappropriate to emphasize the past history or situation excessively and analyze the gain and loss of power again. So as stated in the article, decolonization is actually very difficult because the impact must be material. So without extensive material reparations and restitution for people, community and nations still struggling with material loss, decolonization essentially becomes meaningless and 
value position. So in the context of the settler colonization, the return of land is a necessary condition for decolonization, which is pretty hard to really imply in the real situation. And so that's why I do believe that any academic engagement in this area should not merely provide comfort and relief. No more saying about it is sufficiently compensatory. A good example is the return of Hong Kong, China for me, because it seems like what we should have been done after World War II, even at the end of the 20th century, is so reasonable and obviously go without anything. However, it still like have taken a lot of talking and the compromise between countries and the colonialist identity and value transformation was undoubtedly kind of difficult and complicated. So in this process, contradiction and opposition, in my opinion, is very normal and that we must admit the status quo. I think the decolonization is like a common topic to the world. So for the countries that been the settlers before, like the Britain, the France, I think it is pretty important for them to think about how to design their history in this kind of topic. And for people that have fully colonized before, such as India and South Korea, I, I, I think it's kind of difficult for them to in the education, like what kind of attitudes should be should the public towards their important university and the biggest company which have the shadow of the colonial countries before and for countries like china where part of its region have been colonized where values conflict greatly it definitely has been through extremely complicated process so therefore like how to trade the history in education and how to deal with it in practical policies are my interest and future research directions. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It was great listening to all different perspectives and purposes. All the readings from the class was very inspiring and it was very valuable and exciting to hear everyone's future ideas. Thank you.